Hi, this is Juliette Hahn. I am a CCO, storyteller, podcast host, and content creator. I am on the Relationships and Revenue Podcast with John Hewlin. Life is all about relationships, and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue Podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world, representing many disciplines about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin, as always thrilled to have each and every one of you with me today. And as you heard from that wonderful introduction, I have the one and only Juliet Hahn with me today. Juliet, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. You bet. I'm excited as well. Uh, folks, this has been a long time coming. <laughs> There's been something come up for her, something come up for me, but we finally made it happen today. So I'm glad we were able to do that. Me too. And I always feel like in those times, it, there's a reason, right? It's like, yeah. if, if it didn't flow, just you got to go with it. And that's how I really think everyone should live life. Kind of like, don't get hung up on the things that you can't control. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there are some really good reasons why it hadn't worked up to this point. And we're going to get into that. <laughs> yes, but exactly. as you heard Juliet say, she is a CCO, which is the Chief Communications Officer of FET Tech. We're going to get into what FET Tech is uh, what that means, how that position came about. You're also a podcast host. Oh my goodness, a storyteller, content creator. So Juliet, do us a favor. For those who don't know you very well, take us back in time. Uh, because I would imagine you didn't just wake up one day and say, you know, I think I just want to be a content creator and I want to tell stories. And oh, by the way, in my spare time, I think I want to be a CCO as well. So help us a little bit, kind of fill in some of those gaps. Where did you get your start and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah. So I'm going to take you a little bit of back. So I am Please. dyslexic. So I'm dyslexic. I did not know when I was growing up, um, but my dad also struggled in school. He also is dyslexic and I had a sister mm. that also struggled in school. So it was kind of a a narrative in my family. Like we always were about our strengths and weaknesses. So, and I have many, you know, people can go back and listen to those stories about my dyslexia and how I kind of navigated school, but I was always like a fiery kid. So if someone told me I couldn't do something, if someone put me down, which many, many teachers did, I kind of rose up um, and didn't let it affect me. Now that's not always the case. It's just, it's the tools that God gave me and, you know, and as life goes. So I was kind of always that, like, I'm a fighter. I'm going to, they say I can't do it. Guess what? I'm going to do it. Uh, if it's something that that means to me, um, you know, that is, it, that's important to me. So I played two sports. That was really my identity. I mean, I played, I shouldn't say that. I played two sports in college, but I was an athlete. Mm. So I literally played four sports. So every season I wow. was doing some sort of travel, some sort of school sport. And I really, really excelled. So where I grew up, everyone was really at the top. I had friends that were getting recru recruited young. They were uh, going to Ivy Leagues, you know, a really kind of, a, I don't want to say intense, but a very successful town. So for me to be the one that struggled, there's a lot of things, you know, I was always in class with like the troublemakers. Usually it was the boys, no offense, boys, you know, <laughs> I've got two boys yeah. of my own, but it usually was. And so I was kind of like this oddball out, but always made light of it, always made fun, was kind of friends with, uh, you know, I had my sports friends and, and ran with that crowd, but then always had this kind of... um 
soft spot for the kids that were in my class because I knew that they knew me struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of my friends knew that I struggled because I talked about it, but there's a lot of shame around, you know, thinking you know what you're doing and then going take a test and failing and having your friends be like, oh, I failed that. And they 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 got a 96 and you actually got a 25. And they're like, oh my gosh, you really failed that. And I'm like, yeah, when I say I'm going to fail something, I'm not like blowing smoke. Like I knew, you know, where I struggled. So it was a huge challenge. School was really, really, really tough. And, uh, but I had this dream. I wanted to go to college. It was important in my family. And um, I knew that sports was going to get me there. So mm. I played field hockey and lacrosse. I did play uh, division three. I was recruited division one. That's a whole story. Again, if you guys want to go back, you can listen to my story, but um, I couldn't get my SATs up. And so I could not get to the school that was highly recruited me. They were one of the number one lacrosse schools in the country at the time, Mm. still, still up there. So it was this like, okay, my dreams are coming true. But once again, that school kicked me in the ass. So, you know, there was many times where I did not feel intelligent in spaces, but then I also knew I was intelligent. And mm-hmm. the thing that's interesting is I always gave my gave myself the narrative that I wasn't creative because of something that happened to me in third grade. It was like, okay, you're not creative. It's not that you really struggle in school, but you're not creative because my drawing and those kind of things I wasn't great mm-hmm. at. So going down that path, okay, school is hard. You're not creative, but you're athletic, right? So those are your strengths. And I really, again, I got a lot of confidence in that realm. But then again, fighting for myself in school taught me a lot of different things. You you can kind of sure. you can kind of figure it out. So then take me to, you know, where where I am in my career. Um, and then the little steps that got me there. Every job I always had to, you know, fight. I did go to school for communications, radio, television, film. I didn't start doing that. I started as a uh, corporate fitness major because I was like oh. corporate, I'm personable. That that is one thing. I always connected with teachers or connected with students. And I really did it because I was trying to get out of things. <laughs> so I became like a master at reading people. Super, I'm very, very intuitive and very em- empathetic. So I can read a room. I can go in and kind of assess the situation. And it really stems from me figuring out how I cannot be found out that I don't know what I'm doing. So how can I mm. manipulate and not, I don't want to use that in a negative manipulate me. You know, that that word is a little bit of a negative connotation. But it was really so I could get by. So I wasn't called out like, wait, you really don't know what you're doing. So I became a master at reading people. So corporations, I was like, oh, this is great. I, I, I can, you know, hang and talk with people. That doesn't, that doesn't take any effort. I can do that, you know, with my eyes closed. And fitness, that's what I'm good at. So um, I had to take anatomy and physiology. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's basically, I was like, nope, I... <laughs> I'm not going to take anatomy and physiology. I remember calling my mom in tears. I'm, I I cannot do this college thing. I, you know, I can't focus, you know, in my lectures halls, I'm like looking at the cute boys and all the red shirts. I can hear the pen tapping. I can hear the clock. I can't, I can't focus. I'm also ADHD. So, and that goes a lot of hand in hand with um, dyslexia. So it was a big revelation when I was in college, but again, I had this, this dream, like I wanted to go to school. I didn't want to not be say I couldn't do something. So I figured it out, started going to communications classes was like, wait a second, this is amazing. Now I went to the communication, there's radio, television, film. I was like, again, if you remember not creative. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that, but I'll just have fun with that. But that doesn't matter. And I took a class in, there's one class on in sales, advertising sales. And I said, mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move to New York City. I'm going to become, a, a, you know, a sales exec in the advertising world. And um, that is essentially what I did. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> because I said I was going to do it. I did it. Uh, I was on the radio. I was a DJ. I wrote screenplays. I directed and starred in film. Still, nope, not creative. Um, I wrote a sitcom, you know, um, got on the honor roll. I realized, oh, wait, I am actually really smart. It's just maybe not in math and science, but wait a second, there's mm-hmm. something here. But again, you know, just kind of went through. Didn't I, I wasn't someone that would say, you suck at this, you suck at that. I wasn't that kind of person. I wasn't, didn't give myself that narrative. I mm-hmm. was more of like, okay, I know where my strengths are and I know where my weaknesses are. And so I kind of just left it there. Went to New York City, got a job actually even before I graduated, um, like three months before, because I knew that that was what I wanted to do. And um, then had fun. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I had a lot of fun, let's just say. And uh, met my now husband in the advertising world. Oh. We got married, had kids, and I decided I wanted to stay home because that was something that I always wanted to do. Also, mm. I always wanted to be a mom, love kids. And so I hung up my kind of corporate hat and started doing things with the kids. One of the things was I would storytell. I would tell them all of these things that I would make up. Again, nope, not creative, but I had, I probably could have like a 15 bestsellers, but I didn't write them down because it was just like to entertain my children. Mm-hmm. And I would have people always say to me like, oh my gosh, how, where, where is that from? What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I just make it up. Like, you know, just make up these really cool stories. And my kids loved it. Anywhere we would go, they would sit with these like big meatball eyes, you know, mama, t- tell us about the frog that turned purple. And the pond. And, and so that's really what I did. The other thing that I became really good at is connecting. As I said before, if yeah. you remember the communications, reading rooms and stuff. So I, even though I was staying home with my kids, I was meeting all these different people, connecting with people. Hey, you need to know this person because they're in this world. And I think you guys can benefit each other. You can do something together and, and feeling people. I really could feel people's hearts and their passion and, you know, who they yeah. are. So I continued doing that the whole time I was with the kids, you know, staying home. I, you know, was a room mom, even though I said I would never do that. I was like, okay, I could do that. You know, um, I ran the environmental club for the town because that was something I was, you know, passionate about. But again, mm. always knowing my, okay, I really struggle on things, you know, going in and reading to the kids, um, their class. That's one of the things, even though I really struggled with school and the reading and the writing and all of that, I was a big storyteller and love stories. So I would read to my kids excessively. I mean, that's one of the things that we would all sit around and something they still remember. Um, mm. but going into class, I remember, never forget my second grade Truman. I, I usually would bring in a book that I knew, you know, but this uh-huh. teacher handed, handed me a chapter book and, um, I started sweating. I, uh, probably turned bright red and I was like, okay, I can do this. They're third graders, right? It's <laughs> rid- ridiculous that I'm having this like kind of outer body anxiety attack when I'm, you know, a grown woman. Um, and and had a successful career, even though I you know, st- chose to stay home and um, messed up a ton of words. And my son, I re- I'll never forget, because my oldest son is also dyslexic. So, you mm. know, it was, again, it was a narrative in our house. And my son said, oh, my mom's dyslexic. She's going to mess some some words up, you know, but just listen, because this will be fun. And he just was light about it. And I remember mm. kids, being, oh, I know someone that's dyslexic. Or someone say, what do you mean? So you can't read? Is that hard? And I said, no, I can read. It just takes me a little while. And if something's just thrown at me, I need to practice before. (laughs) I don't like just to read out loud like this. And, you know, and we had like a really good conversation. The teacher later was like, I am so sorry. I didn't know. And, you know, but it was a good conversation. And so that kind of was where I was until I then chose when the kids were a certain age to go back to work and I can start there. But, you know, happy to let you jump in since I just kind of threw up on everyone. No, no, no. That's 
that's part of the reason why I, I like to have folks share part of their background is because it's one thing for you or I to say, hey, I'm a CCO, I'm a storyteller. Well, when you say storyteller, your definition of a storyteller is very different than anybody else's I've ever heard. And that's important. Mm -hmm. It's important to know that because for me, what that does is it takes the picture I have in my head when I hear the word storyteller. And for the most part, it's a, it's a sketch, okay, of what I think it is. But your description of it, well, that's a painting now. It's in full color. And it's, uh, it's, it's a 3D object now. And I can turn it around and I can look at it. I can turn it upside down. I have a really good idea of what that is. So thank you for sharing that part of you with us because that really helps. No, and I love that. And that's, I mean, I see in picture when, when you're dyslexic, you see things in picture. So everything to me is a visual. So, um, you know, I'm glad that you connected on that. That's awesome. Oh yeah, for sure. In fact, it's funny you mentioned picture and I know this isn't what you said, but immediately this is what I think of. The first time I ever, and I did this with you, the first time I ever talked to you on the phone, I had, and I hadn't seen your picture. Mm. I immediately had a picture in my mind of what you look like. I promise you, every time I do that, I'm wrong. Right. Every time I do it. I'm sure. Yeah. I got one thing right. I got one thing right. I, I that you're hair. a brunette. I got that <laughs> right. Everything, nothing. I wasn't even close on anything else. So. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. First of all, uh, this is a, a slight time out, but this is really important, folks. And I want you to hear this. Juliet kind of underplayed her leaving her corporate job and choosing to stay home and raise her boys. That is the hardest job <laughs> you'll ever have. And there isn't enough money in the world for anybody who does that. There just isn't. And so, I want you to know from my perspective, that's the most important job you've ever had. That along with being a wife, right. by far, no matter what else you do. Well, yeah. And, and I have to say, I, so I have a daughter as well. So there's two boys oh, and a girl. Apologies to your daughter, please. <laughs> I, have, I have three. I have two girls and a boy. So I get it. Yeah, you get it. But no, it is, it is one of those things that it is. Um, it, it, I, as I said, I've always been a confident kid and person an adult woman, teenager, even when I went through the struggles, I believe in an innate confidence. I was just born that way. Like people be like, what did mm. your parents? I'm sure my parents did, but I came out, as I said, as this, like, I mean, there was times my mom and dad would say like, there was times where we were like, oh, wow. Oh, she's still confident. Okay. <laughs> Whoa, that was a dinger. And okay. She, <laughs> I see how she spun that. Um, so, but having when, and, and again, I babysat my, you know, when I was 12, there was twins across the street. Like I just adored children and loved watching them grow and learn and see things, you know, seeing the world through a kid's eyes is like one of the most beautiful things you can do and just their hearts and the pureness. And so I knew that I wanted to do that. And I remember my sister, what we had kids the same time, but she was mm. in North Carolina and and not on purpose. It just happened. She got married. She's two years younger, but we got married. Uh, she was married earlier and it was time, you know, when I had kids, it was like, okay, it was time for us to have kids when we planned it. And um, she was in corporate real estate. So I was in, again, mm. I, was, I was an advertising exec at that time. I was working at a kind of a startup and it was in um, guerrilla marketing and alternative advertising. So I was mm -hmm. all over the place. I had hours all over the place. We were in Soho. We lived in the city. So that worked. 
Um, but I'll never forget. I, my sister was planning on going back one day a week and I was talking to a nanny and I remember just crying and, you know, everyone being like, why are you crying? And I was like, cause I don't know that I want to go back, but I feel like as a woman in this day and age, especially living in New York. So I, you know, I got married later, not really, but like later than probably the rest of the country. Right. So I, we, I started having kids in my thirties. I got married in my late twenties okay. and, um, having a strong mother, you know, and, and women all around, like you can do it all right. You can go to work, you can be that mother. And I didn't feel, I wanted to focus completely on one person. I'm an all or nothing kind of human. So I knew that I was not going to do everything well. It was going to be a piece of me in all spots, but I felt almost like an obligation to, and I'm not a feminist, but like the women kind, because I had this opportunity and it was mm. a big struggle. And I'll never forget. My sister said to me, well, what's going to make you the best wife and mom? And I didn't even skip a beat. I said, well, staying home. And she said, you just answered your question. Why are you doing this to yourself? And it was very, it was very abnormal of me because I was always pretty confident in like my decisions. And so my whole family, everyone was like, what's happening here? Like, I'm sure it was a lot of <laughs> hormones, but it was like a very uncomfortable feeling for everyone. And I remember talking to my husband and he's like, yeah, I will support you either way. I was very fortunate that my husband, uh, who was also in advertising, had a career that I was able to do that. And so I was very fortunate to be able to do it. But it is it is tough. But I knew that I was okay, even though I was some, such a people person, like we were friends with every store owner, every, you know, mailman, every delivery person, you know, my kids had this, you know, interesting kind of like, oh, those are your friends. Oh, yeah, he's coming over for, for Thanksgiving, because the super didn't have anyone to stay, you know, didn't have a family. Mm -hmm. And we had befriended the super because they would go on calls with him when they, you know, when he fixed things. And so my kids got that kind of connector kind of thing that I had. And mm -hmm. so it was a really, really special time. But then fast forward, when they got a little older, they didn't need me anymore. And, and my husband was like, we're not having any more kids and we're not getting any more dogs. Um, I was <laughs> like, okay, um, I don't want to just play tennis and, you know, go to lunch. I want something more. I want to do something. I want to be able to start giving back and contributing too. my husband worked his, you know, and does works his butt off. And at this time we had moved out of the city. And so we were in the suburbs and um, he had to commute and, you know, and it was like. I, I'm, I can do something. I know going back into alternative advertising and going back into the city, I don't want to do that because I don't want to have to get a nanny. Um, <laughs> you know, and I did, you know, have a babysitter, my mom, that was something that was really, she's like, if you can do it just one day a week, go walk, you know, the dogs by yourself, like, you know, just have that little bit of time. That was really important to her. I'm one of five. And, you know, my mom knew what, like where she lost herself. So she wanted to make sure I didn't do that. You know, we all kind of do that as, as parents, as, as people, right? Like if yeah. we have a lesson, we want to kind of help the next person not have that. But sometimes people just need to go through that to learn for themselves. So, um, and so I, it was, we were in the suburbs, kids were older, they really weren't needing me as much. And I was like, I want to do something, but I don't want to go back into, into the city. Cause I want to still be able to pick them up from school and go to their sporting events. And, you know, if I need to be at the teacher, like, what can I do? And, um, I started teaching fitness classes and doing some health and fitness with women. It was when I was turning 40, my body had kind of shifted. My, my butt wasn't sitting where it was. And I was like, <laughs> I need to do something. Mm -hmm. So that's the route. So I, for about six years, I did um, some, and it's funny because right. Corporate fitness is what I said mm -hmm. I was going to do in college. And so yeah, it was like yeah. this whole, wow. Okay. This is what I'm doing. And so that was fun. I got, you know, certified. I would, 
do ladies on the lawn when the kids were playing at the park. I would do a oh. workout and have the kids, you know, and have them do that in the summer. Um, when we went to the beach, I would run, a, you know, a program there. I also taught in town and I was doing a lot of nutrition things. And it was kind of going hand in hand where I was in my life. So it was like, okay, I want to get healthy. Okay. Things, they're not, you know, I have to work at this now. This is not, you know, I have good genes, but like <laughs> we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we need to, we need to put a little effort in. And so it was really, that was a really cool, fun part of my life. I also met like some really phenomenal women that I was able to really help and make, make a difference in their lives, which was really mm. fulfilling. Uh, and then also get healthy myself, which was really fun. And for the kids to see, okay, oh, mom isn't just staying home. Oh, no, kids, I can't do that because I have a class to run today. Or, you know, you, you can't stay home just to stay home because mommy has a job. And so that was that was important for me to do and um, and give back. So that's kind of where then my the next chapter. And that's really what I talk about when I, you know, when I was doing con mm -hmm. storytelling consultancy for small businesses was that was like that chapter of my life. And then, um, you know, I can go into the next or if you want to kind of enter into Well, talk to us a little bit about because we I hit on it just a little bit ago, this whole idea of storytelling. And you gave us the background on where that came from. But how do you go from being a storyteller to turning that into a way that you make money? Mm hmm. So I, again, I have three podcasts. So I was interviewing okay. people and that was one of the, that was after I left kind of the fitness world, we had moved and I was like, I don't want to start that there. I'm going to start a podcast because I love to talk and I want to talk to women. At that time, it was women because again, my kids were getting older. They were, you know, I was like, oh my God, we're going to the next stages where they're going to be leaving and I'm having a really hard time with this and I don't, the hormone changing yeah. and I, okay, this is, I need to, I need to talk because that's obviously how I connect. So mm -hmm. I started doing my podcasts and a lot of times because of the way I ask questions, I bring things up. So I, mm -hmm. and that's why I love how you connect the dots as well. Like you bring a little bit about the the person in the beginning, you kind of bring it through the chapters. And so I would have my guests do this. And then a lot of times I would ask a question and they would pause and I could feel it. And it was really kind of cool. But, and then we would get into this beautiful conversation of something that they didn't think was, was significant. And it could be mm -hmm. something as simple, you know, very simple. And so uh, every time, not, I shouldn't say every time, but handful of times, someone would say, can I hire you to help me do that? Cause no one's ever asked me that, but I felt mm. so good talking about it. And I was like, yeah. And when you watched like, or listened back, you felt your energy shift, right? Like you made me were a little bit monotone, but then you started talking about this thing and then you just blew up. And that's where <laughs> the connection happens. That's where when someone has a business or has a podcast or has a service or something that they're selling, if they don't know how to connect with the audience on their own personal story, you're not going to get to that sales thing. Someone's not going to, you're not going to get past that next step. And someone can be fantastic right. in telling their own story and knowing their own story and being confident in their own story and have a crap product. Yeah. And people are buying all the time. <laughs> you're not going to get re, you know, you're not getting new people to buy, but you're selling it because it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, how many times have you watched a commercial and you're like watching it? And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I don't even know what this is about, but this is fantastic. <laughs> right. And then it's like car insurance. And it's right, like, oh, right. okay, well that, well, that was a really good commercial that took me in. And if I happened to be needing car insurance at that time, that's the company I would have called. So it's one of those things that I was really starting to 
Uh, my podcast, you know, I, I knew that when I started them, they were really a passion project. Um, mm -hmm. And it was more for me filling a creative outlet because now I realized I was creative and I started screaming it from the rooftops. I am creative. <laughs> I can't believe I've been telling myself I'm not creative. This is so crazy. And I had this whole like really cool kind of path and fun exploration of like being creative and accepting just because I can't draw or sing or do things that I thought were creative doesn't mean I'm not creative. And I am very, That's what very... we've been told our entire lives is like those, these are the one, two or three ways that if you aren't these things, you're not creative. Right. Which is garbage. Right. And, and then I even look back. I mean, I was creative on the, you know, on the field. I was, that was where I was really creative. And that's why I was so good at what I did and, and how successful I was in my athletic career because I was creative on the field, but you don't say that. You say athletic, right? You don't say, right, you know, right. I saw the field in a different way than maybe someone else. And I do attribute a lot of that to my dyslexia because my brain's just different than, mm -hmm. than, you know, than the next person. So that just then people just started hiring me and um, it kind of was like a word of mouth. I was like, maybe I need to like put some, you know, structure behind this and have like, you know, a, a one sheet and this and that. And so that's really where that took off. But I knew like with my podcast, I was like, I can make a little money in this, but I really want it to be like my, my passion, what I love to do. And I don't want to put the pressure of like, oh, I'm not making money on this. Mm -hmm. So it really, the storytelling stuff just kind of came into it. You know, I had a workshop I had, um, which I was making some money on, but I, you know, again, it was like, I liked it at the time, but I was kind of growing out of it and wasn't okay. loving that. I was doing some speaking engagements and I was like, okay, this is fun. But it was like time and time again, you know, maybe every five or six guests would be like, well, dude, can you help me? Can I, and I was doing it for, I wasn't charging anyone in the beginning, but then I realized, wait, mm -hmm. I, I'm now spending too much time or I wasn't spending enough time with them. You know, I would give them like, mm -hmm. yeah, we can jump on an hour. That's fine. I can take you through it. And then that was it. But it, they didn't get really what they could have gotten if I had given them like the eight sessions that then I started offering people. Oh, okay. Um, and so that's really how it went. And then I niched down. I was like, who, you know, I can really help everyone. I was like, this is fantastic. I can help everyone. But it's like, you know, one of my clients um, was a business coach. And so we did like a trade. I work with her. Oh, yeah, yeah. She helps, you know, helps me with the the business side of it. So that was really fun because she's like, no, you have to niche down because you, when you're out there, you're going to sound like a unicorn. Like you could, you could help everyone. But so we did small businesses, you know, online businesses. And that's really yeah. where my neat, that's really who I was interviewing anyways. So it was kind of really fun yeah. to see that. And then I would have people that maybe were on the podcast before be like, wait, I saw that you're doing this now. Can I hire you? And, and that's what takes me into my, you know, my chief communications officer job is, uh, that was one of my first clients, um, yeah. vet tech, um, Danielle Fetty, who funny enough, we did go to high school together, another dyslexic. We played lacrosse together. And had mm. lost touch. We, you know, she was a year younger than me. So when mm -hmm. I, you know, left, we hadn't seen each other. And then when we we got back together when I was doing the fitness stuff, because I was on social mm. media. And she's like, Oh my God, I'm so happy to see you. Oh, I love what you're doing. Blah, blah, blah. And then we just stayed connected. So as she was growing Fed Tech, we would brainstorm stuff because that's what she and I did always did best and always loved. And then she was one of the people that were like, I well, I can't just keep doing this. I'm gonna pay you and hire you. And so that was one of the ways I did it. And then when the company FetTech, which we're in the um, regenerative medicine, which is, this is like so funny because everything that I just said, like my math and science weren't, but now I, you know, I'm on calls with scientists that have triple PhDs 
it is fascinating world, but we're really changing, uh, changing medicine. And I can't talk about a lot of stuff because we're in FDA approval for a number of things. Mm. Mm-hmm. But the main product is, um, it's called Stemsys Bio. If you want to go to FETTECH, you can go to F-E-T-T-E-C-H if this is something that interests you. Uh, yeah. But they have a wound powder that is being sold throughout the United States in hospitals. So Danielle was an, uh, a nurse by trade. Her husband is the inventor. Uh, mm-hmm. who's in engineering. And they wanted to make a difference in the medical world. They knew the companies that they were working for. They were working for, you know, medical device sales companies and pharmaceutical companies there was so much red tape that you couldn't get mm-hmm. things done. And their heart is about helping the patient and making a difference in people's lives. And they're like the most pure humans you could ever meet. And um, so there's six of us that are uh, fat tech employees. We just had our first business trip. I mean, they've been around for 10 years, but have been doing it their own and themselves and, and have a very successful company. And then we're doing different indications. So we found out that our product actually can help in, in multiple different ways in the body. And so right. those are the things I can't talk about. But when I say sure. it is going to be literally changing the world in many aspects. And the fact that I am the chief communications officer and I'm working with top PR companies um, to, to do you know one side of the company and then working with amazing web designers and people that are at top of their their craft and just being able to brainstorm and and see how we're going to get this, you know, get the word out and what we're going to be doing and the conferences we're going to and um, the scientists that we're working on with other things that are top in their their um, in their profession is is really crazy. So I still have my podcasts. I am mm. doing this full time. So I really only take one or two clients for my storytelling because that is, you know, that is something that is a passion of mine that I love doing. Um, But so I decided I would do that for a year. But they basically came to me and said, what will it take to hire you? We actually need your skill set and we need you to support Danielle. And so um, so that's so that's what I'm doing. But that's why as we you had had approached me, I had just accepted the job and it was this, you know, the summer. Um, And I was like, well, I need to know what you want to talk about because I've shifted a little. Um, (laughs) And so that's where it was. But that's what's so important is I stayed curious. And even though someone else in my position might be like, wait, I sucked at science. I can't do that. But mm-hmm. I, again, am that fighter. That's like, I know I can make a difference in this company because of my worth, my work ethic, but mm-hmm. also my values is right up there. Like helping people is just something that has always been dear to my heart. And then being able to do something that's cutting edge and entrepreneurial is like, you know, every day I literally have my hands in like 10 different buckets and it's crazy. Like my husband sometimes is like, mm-hmm. wait, I can't even believe you literally just went from like being on with scientists, PhDs to recording a podcast and telling your story and then going on. And, you know, one of my podcasts is called Word Blindness. And that is what dyslexia was referred to in the 1800s. Okay. Okay. Um, which is kind of kind of interesting. And my co-host is an ex-Stanley Cup NHL hockey winner, Brett Sopel. And Brent has a foundation, the Brent Sobel Foundation, which is a dyslexic foundation. Mm. I happened to interview him for a television show that I was someone asked me to do because of a podcast. I mean, it's like all these little dots that you see (laughs) and I see where it has brought me. And again, I just if it if it aligns and it feels good, I say, yes, I know I can figure it out. If it's something that I'm Mm -hmm. like, I need to pray on, I pray. But, you know, when you talk to the universe, you daydream, whatever you need to do to kind of get to that spot, I always, you know, I Mm -hmm. challenge people to do because why not step out of your comfort zone? Why not go for it? And 
because I failed so much growing up. I mean, so much. I don't even, that doesn't even bother me. Failure, I, when I fail, I know that I'm learning something and there's something better behind it. For sure. Or in front of it. I should say not behind it. <laughs> there's, there's a dyslexic brain there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the way I like to say it is failing provides the opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. We have to choose to work through it in order to get to the learning part. I love that. Um, versus failure, which is an active choice to stay stuck. Mm-hmm. Ooh, to I me, those that. are two very different things. Yes. You know, you were talking about your podcast. So do us a favor and just just a brief description of the different podcasts you have, mm-hmm. what they're about, the type of guests, and th- if you have guests, the type of guests you have on them. Yes. So again, someone's going to be listening to this and being like, wow, she really does use all parts of her brain. So my first podcast is called Your Next Stop. And that's where I interview entrepreneurs, people that have, uh, and it doesn't always have to be an entrepreneur, but someone that followed a passion and turned into a business, whether it's a charity, Mm. whether it's, you know, they're an author, but something that they did that they now do full time. Um, Mm. And that, that is the one that I started uh, in 2019. And I'm, you know, hundreds and hundreds of episodes that comes out every week. And I love that's 30, usually 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, it was women because I, I was in that spot. Literally, when yeah. I started doing the interviewing is when I was growing my business. So it was really fascinating to like be talking to the people and we just have really great conversations. And then from that, I started my second podcast, which is called YNS, like your next stop live mm-hmm. with NFL Thread. One of my guests, Cynthia Zordich, her husband was um, an ex-NFL player. He was in the league for 12 years, Michael. Mm. And when I had Cynthia on, and another kind of funny story is that I used to babysit for the Zordiches. I grew up, grew up outside of Philadelphia. So when Michael oh. was with the Eagles, I happened to babysit their family. So I always was, stayed connected with Cynthia through, you know, social media or whatever. But when I started Your Next Stop... I was like, I need to interview Cynthia because I remember when they moved, like she gave up a whole successful photography business Mm. when she was where she was before. And then, you know, went with her husband because, you know, that's what her vows were. That's what she said she was going to do. Right. Right, Um, right. And that's, I mean, she wanted to, but I didn't realize until I interviewed her, I was watching and she was, they were young. So they were in their, um, they were in their twenties and watching her, reinvent herself. And I didn't know at the time until I interviewed because I remembered just this feeling, this amazing family and watching her. She actually got hired by the Eagles and then by the NFL as an organization, as a photographer, because she just would go and do her like, okay, I'm kind of sad here. Take pictures of the kids and take her, you know, camera and just be like, let me take some pictures. And then she would bring, have her husband, Michael be like, I just, you know, you know, developed these, why don't you bring them to a couple of the players? And sometimes she would do like these really cool, like foils and these colors in like the black and whites. And it was just like, oh, super creative, really amazing woman. So I didn't realize I was watching this, the second career of hers Mm. kind of unfold. Mm -hmm. So when then when we, and when I interviewed her um, and we hadn't talked in years and years and years, you know, maybe just like a couple of things on social media. My mom was like the kindergarten teacher. I mean, literally in our town, it was a small town. So like, you know, we knew a lot of people that way as well. So that um, I said to her, wait, I need like, this is these stories need to be told. Like, I can't believe I didn't think about like the spouses, right? The spouses of the mm-hmm. professional athletes, like what that yeah. takes, that takes a really special woman. And I know everyone's like, oh, they're so lucky, right? They're so lucky because they their husband's out there in the spotlight. And these, 
No, there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of stuff. And not every player makes the money that the top players make. So that's true. once they're out of the league, there is a lot of depression. There's a lot of drug use, you know, because they mm -hmm. don't have a path. And there's so I became fascinated, fascinated with this. And so Cynthia and I started a series of YNS Live with NFL Thread. And NFL Thread is an organization she started that was like mm. the LinkedIn for women in oh, okay. the NFL. So it's like whatever whatever, wherever you move, whatever city, whatever team, you can go on and see who's there, connect, see if they have a business, oh, promote each sure. other and do all these things. She was doing events. So she was doing events the Thursday before the Super Bowl, the Thursday before the draft, and then at the Hall of Fame. Mm. And so she would do luncheons to get all the women together. And so she said, can we do, can you bring the podcast to all these events? And we do live Thanks. Oh, okay. so, so I, every year, I mean, this is what's so funny. I, every year now, I mean, go to the Super Bowl. I'm with these amazing people. I'm doing sideline mm. reporting. <laughs> and it's just because, again, I'm like, am I shitting my pants half of the time? Yes. Do I know any of the people that are coming up to me? No, because that's one thing. I am terrible with names. I recognize faces. My kids, if I send <laughs> pictures, they laugh. They're like, mom, do you know who that is? Do you know who you were just talking to for 10 minutes? And I'm like, no, but I like, it doesn't matter. I don't care where your status is, who you are. If you have a good heart and you're a good person, I want to get into conversation with you. I don't care if you're a janitor, if you're a homeless person, if you're a president, if you're a professional athlete, if you're a movie star, if you're a jerk, I don't care what you do. And I don't want to have a conversation with you. You're not real to me. And so it's not like, it, it's, it's, it's a connection again. And that's like, you know, mm -hmm. goes back to all my story. It's the connection I make with people. So I do that. So this year we're going to be in Vegas. It's going to be a huge event that we're having. We have sponsors. Like, so if anyone's like, wait, I, I oh, have great. a brand. We, we have sponsors. You can sponsor the podcast. There's also Cynthia has a magazine that goes to every single player. It's called The Playbook. It's this gorgeous, like life-size time magazine size. Wow. Um, yeah. And so she like does articles in there. It's really beautiful. It's like the stories. This is what we say. Like I put the words the voice to the stories. She has the words for the stories. And then we have this beautiful like kind of platform that we do. Um, we also do, there's times where we've done lunches where luncheons where someone's like, I have a, you know, I'm a real estate company and I'm really trying to get into this market. Can you guys bring the ladies? Can you bring the girls? And we've done that at times. Oh. Um, so again, it's, you know, obviously I, you just heard all the things that I do. I also, my, my kids and my husband are still number one. So I ha have to say no to some things now that I've grown and done things sure. like when I need to think. But the Super Bowl is always, we're always there, the draft and the um and the Hall of Fame again. So that's YNS Live with NFL Thread. And you can find these all, you can go to my website, which is I am, A-M, Juliet Hahn. And um, that is uh, why I'm not just Juliet Hahn is because there's a professor at the Citadel who is older than me and her name is Juliet Hahn and she took all the socials. So I have to be I am. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to part one of my conversation with Juliet Hahn. It was a fantastic time and I can't wait for you guys to check out part two. So be on the lookout for it because it's coming soon. Thanks again for tuning in today. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye everybody.